It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Good to have you here with us. It's Monday, May 1st, 2017. We're glad to have you join us. We're broadcasting live from the MBA National Secondary Marketing Conference here in New York City, Times Square. We're at the Marriott Marquis. A lot of people attending here. Really looking forward to getting into some of the sessions, meeting with Fannie Mae later on this afternoon. A lot of com- I mean, this is just such a valuable conference. I'm, I just encourage you to get out to these conferences, everybody. They're wonderful. So anyway, again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we are very grateful to have you as our listener. And we hope you will tell others about it. Our commitment to you is to bring timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Download the Lickin' and Lending app on your mobile device, on your Apple or you can go to Google Market, and you'll see it there. You click the subscribe button, and it'll be live there for you to listen to it. And as the Prophet Doctor was just reminding us a little bit ago, you can get updates where you get this landing in your inbox. You can listen to it to your computer, your mobile device, your iPad. You can listen to it almost anywhere. Far. Anyway, so glad to have you joining us. Today's hot topic, we've got Nancy Alley. Of Simplify, she's vice president of strategic planning. I always love hanging around strategic thinkers, and Nancy is one of them. A lot of exciting things going on at Simplify. They are one of our sponsors, and we're going to be talking about closing the post-closing loop. Should be fun, exciting. When you look at a lot of the things going on in back office, where things get gummed up, we're going to be talking about what you could do to make that move faster smoother and easier, and explore ways to automate where most lenders are just not getting it done right. So Nancy's got to have some great ideas for you. Stay tuned to the Hot Topics segment. We want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, ArchMI, the creator of the new Innovative Rate Star program. I was at their reception last night, talked to David Gansberg and Jim Jump and everyone there. The great company, and if you're not signed up with them as your MI provider, I encourage you to get a hold of your local rep. Also, Motivity Solutions, providing real-time reporting, dashboard, and scorecards powerful too. Don't understand how people run a business without that kind of knowledge. Then also Velma is an efficient electronic marketing and email platform. We're using it more and more in our company. And I tell you, I am so impressed with the power of this thing. Simplifile. Well, we're going to have a Nancy on, so we're going to let her talk about that. But it's a real-time electronic communication exchange. Very excited to have her joining us a little bit later on. The Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network. And then, of course, DNH. Oh, by the way, Mortgage Collaborative, for those of you that are listening to the podcast and you're here at the conference, Tuesday night we have a reception. Get a hold of me if you need information or get a hold of Rich Zerbinski to get in and know where the receptions have. DNH, of course, they're moving your world forward through technology. They've got a lot of exciting things going on. They're a 140-year-old company, 5,500 employees worldwide, supporting 8,000 clients. Not bad track record in over 70 countries, and they're merging with MySyst. They are bought by Vista. The two companies are coming together, and I'm getting some insights into the plans that they have. i got to tell you, this is going to be an exciting company and one company to watch. One thing you're going to know about technology companies You've got to have a strong capital base in order to really stay active in the market. I had talking to Jonathan Core a little earlier ago. You know, you look at these companies that are out there, they are positive, well capitalized. I think it's going to be such a critical feature and benefit or a power. One of the things you've got to be well capitalized, what I'm trying to say, and to be able to do extraordinarily well. Also, a special thank you to Andy, Alice, Joe, Sam. He's got a lot of headlines. We're excited about having him join us. Again, we're here at the MBA conference, but some other upcoming conferences. I'll be the keynote speaker May 9th next week in Memphis, Tennessee, at the Great Rivers, four states mortgage banking conferences, four state MBA conferences come together in one location in Memphis, Tennessee. And you can check it out at thegreatrivermba.com forward slash general forward slash sessions forward slash speakers. You'll see us all there, but greatrivermba.com. Check it out. 
forward to seeing you there next week. Also, the Ohio NBA State Conference. Marianne has got me in. I'm speaking for three hours on sales, sales innovation that's going on. Very excited. That's May 19th. And uh, then also we have June 19th, one month later, the Motivity User Conference up in very pleasant temperatures, Beaver Creek, Colorado. Check it out at events.motivitysolutions.com. For more information on what's going on with the MBA and their conferences and education, go to their website. Just Google MBA Conferences and Education. And you'll also see Andy, the Profit Doctor's uh, webinars that he's doing there. Very good stuff. While there, sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance. Well, we have a new segment that we've added. Many of you are starting to comment on it because of the music parody, and that's my good friend, Les Parker, who I've known for years, who works for Loan Logics. We like getting a macro focus on what's going on in the world. So let's hear what Les Parker has for us this week. Thanks, Dave. This is Market Logics Live, sponsored by Loan Logics. Hello, dullness, my old friend. I've come to trade with you again because my icon, softly blinking, left its feeds while I was thinking, and the tactic that was transferred to my graph still remains within the sign of silence. Is no volatility good? Many would say yes. Let's dispel this myth. Last week I said it was not time for a dovish Fed. To restore economic activity around the globe requires unleashing assets encumbered by debt. Think about the U.S. housing crisis. Areas that rapidly reprice return to sound health swiftly. We need a great reprice in a global asset so new capital rushes in. Excessive accommodation by central banks prevents capitalism from working. These views are my own. Go to LoanLogics.com to subscribe to my daily newsletter. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> I always love the music parodies, unless it's so clever and the groups over there are working on getting that audio just sounding better and better. So I appreciate Les being a part of it, but it's something and giving us that macro focus. It's really good. So. Les Parker, appreciate the comments, and I love the music parody. It's really good. Joe Farr, Mortgage Market Update, what's going on Hi, today? And it's good to have you here with me, All right, with yeah, us, at least you. on the radio. I wish you were here in New York with me. Tell you what happened in the uh, economic events today, and you tell me what you think is happening in MBS prices, because uh-huh. personal income fell short, uh, up two-tenths, yep. three-tenths was expected. Core PCE day was uh, expected to be flat for the month. It fell a tenth and is now 1.6% on an annual basis, down from 1.8. Construction spending was negative when a positive was expected, and ISM came in short. So what are prices doing? Yeah, I would think they would see a little bit of a rally in some of this, but I <laughs> You would, but we're not. We're not. We're not. I understand. We're down that. we're down five. All the drop in prices happened after the data came out. And you're right, the data should have created a bit of a positive move. So I'm a little bit in the dark as to how to explain this, but prices are down five thirty seconds. It is what it is, but the best part is if they had had your system, they'd known it. Because if that's they'd why see it systems, they, they see it happening real time. That's why I'm such a big fan right. of what you do. It's just anyway, and you got a mobile app, so you can be it when they're out in when the little originators right. out in the field. They got you got the mobile app, really powerful, so you can be checking in on it all the time. So let's talk a little bit about last week. Kind of yeah, interesting week. last week was interesting. I mean, talking about a global look at things. Last week was all about global global events. You know, starting with the the French elections, uh, April 23rd French election. Results came out Monday and really affected the market more so on, on Tuesday. With the election results such that the pro-EU Macron had a better, you know, got better results than the than the right. anti-EU Le Pen, MBS prices reversed some of the flight to safety that had, had preceded the election. And Macron's done, done well in the uh, polls on a head-to-head basis and really has lifted some of the concern that, that France will be led by somebody who wants to get them out of the EU. So... We saw a nice, not a nice, we saw a big reversal in BS prices on Tuesday as a result of all that. But then later in the week, we recovered some of it. So GDP came out late in the week. First quarter earnings, I'm sorry, I'm off off my pace here. First quarter earnings yeah. on, a, on a company basis yes, were pretty yeah. good early in the week. And that also pulled money out of the bond market into stocks and had an effect of moving rates uh, higher in the first half of the week. The Dow, though, had a nice week. Uh, on Tuesday, they gained 230 points. And so now to the economic events. The events caused 
really very little reaction when you look at the overall GDP rose. GDP fell. GDP was seven-tenths higher below what was expected of 1.1. New home sales were good. Pending home sales were weak, but they were also following a very strong February. Likely bad weather pulled uh, those sales lower. Consumer sentiment and consumer confidence were both a little below expectation. So, it's, uh, you know, the whole trend lately has been for the economic data to come in a little bit short of expectations and, and not quite as good as it had been running in the prior months. Yeah. And then to look at this week, we have the Fed meeting. Yeah, and, big news. Uh, the investors, yeah, investors are, are expecting no change in rate at this meeting. I think the market shows like a 5% chance of a hike. But there's a 65% chance of a hike at the June meeting. And, you know, we've talked in the past about the balance sheet and Fed speakers over the last month have taken the opportunity to talk about the balance sheet and, and what they kind of see as, as being a, a path that they will take in beginning to slow down the accommodation associated with that balance sheet. And I believe this is going to lead the Fed to actually making a change in their policy. You know, they have had the, uh-huh. in the statement, they have said that they're going to continue to reinvest until normalization of the federal funds rate is well underway. And with all the all the recent talk, it wouldn't surprise me if they actually do change that. And the more detail they provide, the more or less likely it could affect mortgage rates. ISM services on Wednesday, it's a big, and then the jobs report on Friday. 180,000 net new jobs expected. Only 98 last month, but I think that was a bit of an outlier. Well, then I'm looking at today and looking at the curious reaction to what's going on, which makes you wonder what else is going on that we're not seeing in any of the data. But it's really interesting. But what's really good, Joe? You want something that's really, really good? Yeah. You're back doing the podcast because I blew your segment (laughs) so bad. Well, I did a pretty poor job. Today, good, so I apologize for I that. Had a, I had one of my good friends call me and say, Joe's going to be back, isn't he? And I go, yeah, because <laughs> you were terrible. And so I was chuckling. I said, I love friends that just really put it to you straight. But anyway, Joe, thanks so much. Appreciate it, folks. If you have not sure. signed up for the trial of the MBS quote line, you got to do it. Joe can get you signed up. It's a valuable tool. We're going to be right back after a couple words from our sponsors. Stay tuned. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. So good to have you with us, everybody. So let's talk a little bit about all that's happening in the world of legislation and compliance. And there's nobody better to do that than Alice Alvey. Alice? Thank you. Happy Monday, everybody. Of course, it could depend on what day you're actually listening to the broadcast, right? But for yeah. us, it's Monday. Well, it's happy and... <laughs> Monday for us. And it's, right. it's happy Monday. We wish they were here at happy Monday. So, <laughs> so a few quick updates. The CFPB did publish a proposed Humber rule clarification April 25th. There's only a 30-day comment period. So this is everybody's got to comment by May 25th if there are any issues. It's really to solve some of the transitional documentation and field level issues for loan purpose and unique identifier. We've got a few bills and, and I should say proposed rules to try and clean this up a bit because Humda and ECOA all have to line up in time for Humda reporting. And for those of you who know Humda very well, it's about when the action was taken as to when it goes on the Humda report. And that could be sometimes for new construction more than a year. (laughs) And regulations change during the year. So you might be taking the application now under one set of regulations, but you don't actually have to report it until Humda reporting 2018 when all the new rules take effect. So the CFPB is trying to address some of these inconsistencies to make sure that people have the ability and the software programs have the ability to put in the right field, even with that overlap that may occur. So I do recommend if you're the person on the technology teams or you're also involved in Humda to go check that, make sure it makes sense to you for loan purpose and unique identifier. And then the other one is there's a proposed rule on the ECOA. 
And that actually the comments are due by May 4th. So two components related to Humda, uh, for those of you who have to get into the weeds on that. Secondly, I guess I want to just make sure everybody has their heads up. The CFPB 26 Fair Lending Report, 2016 Fair Lending Report, did mention 44 warning letters that were sent to mortgage lenders and brokers in October of 2016, and it was about compliance with Humda. So since we're on the subject of the reporting, everyone's starting to plan ahead for this. It's a good time to also revisit this as you start working with the CFPB new tool. You start looking at the additional data. Also, keep in mind how you're going to have to revise your fair lending policies. Second thing, we've got lots of legislation that's moving around. We are going to be watching House Bill HR 10. This is the Revised Financial Choice Act of 2017. It's really a revision of the Choice Act legislation that we've seen over the years. Last several years, there's been a version of this presented. It really focuses on trying to redo the CFPB and change that structure, change some regulations. So it's just been assigned to committee uh, last week, and we'll watch it closely for you as we start to get more details. But right now, nothing's moving strongly forward. We'll start watching the flood insurance legislation. I know this impacts our servicers quite a bit. It is due to expire in September, the current components, and so there's quite a few bills to say how do we restructure and reauthorize NFIP for the next 10 years or whatever term we can get out of Congress, right? <laughs> so uh, it's always a challenge getting them to plan ahead. <laughs> and uh, two bills, two other areas you would want to comment on. VA has a, a docket, uh, it's a uh, advanced notice of proposed rulemaking. So it's really just kind of they're putting out ideas. They want to get industry feedback. It was posted 413. It's written 2900. AP62, and they want to know how we feel about changing the way VA restricts the fees the veterans can pay. I think this is a really important issue to address as an industry, to really take a look at your markets. Are veterans being impacted by the fact that the seller is required to pay certain fees on a VA loan? No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, certainly, it may, even if it's kind of somehow covered in the transaction, you know, even if the lender says, well, we can do premier pricing and we can cover this for you, it can't be on my buyer's side of the CD, essentially. It has to be a fee to the seller. And that's what starts to cause some challenges uh, for sellers and in the market. And so we do, we do need to provide feedback. Is, it, is this a negative? Should our veterans being hurt by this fact in your markets, or is it a benefit? Each of your markets may be different, so you should comment not on your emotions, but what you're really seeing in the market. <laughs> we all want veterans to get a good deal. <laughs> we all love the idea of someone else paying their closing costs for them, but is it causing <laughs> problems in the market is you really should be responding to. So there's some good questions there. Comments on that are due by June 12th. So I really do encourage everyone to take a look at that. Participation in the mortgage industry is how to get effective change for making business better, and we all need that. Also, don't forget to check out Fannie Mae's new selling memo. This has got some great benefits for qualifying borrowers. This went into effect April 24th. Many of the items are effective immediately. This improves oh, borrowers' ability to qualify. So loan originators, if you don't normally read this stuff, I'd read this one. <laughs> and then go, hey, underwriters, where am I, you know, where's my authority to go ahead and start doing this? And all the underwriting managers right now are going, did she really just say that? <laughs> so we want to get more deals in the door. And this this announcement, again, it's selling Fannie Mae Memo 2017-4, it lightens up a little bit and offers a student loan, kind of a modified cash-out refi if you're paying off student loans. It's going to waive loan-level price adjustments, so that can definitely make it easier for those student loan borrowers. It's going to, there's a couple other things to it. It removes the six-month restriction for if your house was recently listed. It's got some great stuff in there, so read that one and make sure that you're talking to your risk managers and know what you can go ahead and implement right away or what might take a little bit of time at your company. Another reminder that DU and LP messages aren't the whole story. You have to know your guidelines. So that's our report for today, Dave. And Good I'll report. Back to you. Lots of information. There are a lot of moving pieces right now. And then listen to Secretary Mutin's comments recently, yesterday, about saying Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac don't need him. The federal government's been stealing all their profits, using it for other government programs. We don't need them. Get rid of them. So that's an interesting comment. Well, I didn't say it quite like that. 
So yeah. some interesting commentary going on out there is even, you know, we're fanning as if we need more uncertainty. That's the potential yeah. of that. But, you know, lots going on in the markets focusing on the CFPB. We've, we're going to get some more of those comments from Nancy Alley. She's strategic thinking. Her strategic thinking side of her brain, we're going to pull all that out of her and uh, get her thoughts on that. But, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Alice, thank you so much. You do a great job bringing us the data all the time. Check it out, alice.lv at indicom.net or mortgage-u.com. It'll get you all the same place. 1-800-278-0200. So good to have you all with us. We're going to be back after a few words from our sponsors. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. The Mortgage Collaborative was founded by former chairman of the NBA, John Robbins and David Kittle, and leaders at the forefront of the diversity movement in the real estate industry, Jim Park and Gary Acosta. The Mortgage Collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The Collaborative provides its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. To learn more, go to mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691. The power of the network. Not only is he a good, you know, audio engineer in the background, but Jeff Sellers, who's running the switchboard for me while I'm here at the conference, does a heck of a job making those ads. Good job, Jeff. Love that one. Anyway, let's get over to Sam Garcia, Mortgage Daily. Sam Garcia at MortgageDaily.com is how you can reach him. We're at 214-521-1300. But most importantly, go to the website, MortgageDaily.com. What's on the website today, Sam? It's been a lot of, actually, news this last week, so I'd I grabbed some of the best stories that were out there, but gosh, there were so much. Anyway, first up, EMBS reported that fixed rate agency mortgage-backed securities issuance came to $91 billion in April. Those are not really a whole lot different than, than March. And what happened was, even though issuance at Fannie and Freddie was down, there was a bump in securitizations at Jenny, and it kept overall volume from falling. So Jenny saved the month when it comes to the volume of MBS issuance in, uh, in April. Our mortgage market index was down 7% last week, and that index is an indicator of upcoming mortgage production based on rate lock volume and open close. And the reason it was down was primarily because refinance activity slowed quite a bit. It was down 14% on a week-over-week basis. So that's what's happening on the most recent activity as far as new rate locks go. Fannie Mae reported that its single-family delinquency of at least 90 days concluded March at 1.12%. That turned out to be the lowest delinquency rate for Washington-based Fannie since February 2008, when the rate was 1.10%. So continued decline in delinquency for Fannie. Some big news. Aquin said Monday that it's negotiating a deal with new residential to convert existing rights on mortgage servicing rights to fully owned MSRs. So the deal involves MSRs on about $117 billion in loans. And in addition to taking over the full ownership of those MSRs, new residential is going to make an equity investment in Aquin and become a 4.9% owner. That, that announcement follows Aquin's filing of a recent request for restraining orders against Illinois and Massachusetts, which are among several states that took regulatory actions against it. And in addition, Aquin uh, filed two motions in a lawsuit filed by the CFPB, and it's seeking an early court ruling that the CFPB is unconstitutional. So they're going the PHH route to defend themselves in that particular lawsuit against uh, from the CFPB. It, and it was a busy week, actually, this last week for MSRs. I, I, one of the ones I picked up on was MidAmerica announced that it acquired MSRs on $2.7 billion in loans, and those loans are either insured by FHA or guaranteed by VA. Over at Quicken Loans, of course, one of the biggest lenders in the country, they reported that as part of our mortgage origination survey that 
They've reported that their originations in the first quarter were $18.6 billion. That was down 31% from the fourth quarter, and that's pretty much in line with most lenders that we've tracked so far for the quarter. Quicken said that its servicing portfolio grew, has grown to $251 billion as of the end of March from $242 billion at the end of last year. So they continue to grow their servicing portfolio and are becoming a player in that area. Over at Flagstaff, which is just across town from Quicken, it, in its first order first quarter earnings report indicated that CEO Alessandro Danello and the chief operating officer Lee H or Lee M. Smith are jointly running the mortgage banking banking business until they complete an executive search to find a leader for that business. So I thought that was interesting that the CEO of a bank is taking, you know, t- t- managing with a, the other executive the, the mortgage business. And of course, they're, that's a big part of their business over there for the bank. Um, Cardinal Financial announced today that it has a new wholesale division. And the company says its LOS will help mortgage brokers in their processing. So it's promising a lot because of the technology it's providing. Credit Plus executive Donald Clement Jr. said in a presentation last week that the National Consumer Assistance Plan takes effect on July 1st. And the credit repositories are required by the plan to reduce the amount of tax lien data they report. And the change is expected, according to Credit Plus, to boost 11 million consumers' credit scores by 20 points without any change in consumer behavior to accompany that. So I, you know, they said FICO's uh, taking a, look, a closer look at that and to try to help lenders make sense of these new scores, even though there's not going to be any change in the payment histories of these, these particular consumers. And finally, one other story I wanted to cover real quick was Homeside Financial is expanding its office space in Columbus, Ohio, and they are looking for some benefits from this local city there if they can build out their space. And if so, then they'll wind up adding 150 new employees in that area. You know, that could be a positive for the area. Um, those are some of our biggest uh, headlines Big over the last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Building the mortgage business is doing well. Uh, Movement Mortgage is building two new facilities. The one building a huge new facility in the Virginia Beach area, and they're launching their new corporate facility. It's huge in Charlotte area. So I mean, a lot of mortgage industry is doing well. These companies are that are out there and prospering are getting a chance to build some new spectacular facilities. So pretty yeah, neat. And that's good you brought anyway. up Move It. I mean that's that's one we're constantly covering new job growth over at. So um yeah. really have and I think he said you helped them initially uh, get going, right? We, Andy and I did. Yeah, he Googled, I jumped out on the webpage, got his attention and Andy came in and has done a lot. So yeah, it was a team effort, but yeah, we believe a huge role in those guys. It's really fun. So great, good, great company. A lot of good companies out there, but they're one of the ones that I really track as well, Sam. So I appreciate you tracking them. I'm, I'm, in, I'm invested emotionally and intellectually into them in a motivating <laughs> factor for them. So I love those guys. I love their attitude and their mantra. So yeah, good job, Sam. I encourage people to check out your website, www.mortgagedaily.com. And always fun to have you on with your headlines and what you do. Check it out, folks. It's a great resource. But not beyond the headlines, there's all this data that's there, rich, rich data, what's going on in the market. So, Sam, you do a good, good job. We're blessed and honored to have you here with us, friend. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Well, let's jump over to Shawnee Honadale. She is with, uh, she's with Arch Mortgage. She's the director of marketing. And uh, Shawnee's got a message for us. Shawnee? Thanks, David. Glad to be a sponsor. Spring home buying's underway. The supply is tight and interest rates are rising. Are lenders ready to compete for purchase business, or will they get left behind? Archimai RateStar is the best way to stay aggressive and stay ahead of the herd. Use our risk-based pricing program to assess individual loan risk more precisely. With RateStar, lenders lead their market the way Archimai leads the MI industry. Lead with us. I like that. Lead with them. It's really good. Talk about another leader in the industry. It is Andy Shell. What a great guy he is, knowledgeable as heck, and just kind of hurts my head with how smart he is and what he does out there in the marketplace. But it's good to have you, you with us, Andy Shell, better known as the Profit Doctor. Thanks, Dave. You're too kind as always. Well, Dave, you're there at the Secondary Marketing Conference. I can hear people walking around in the background, and so it's always yes. fun to be at those conferences, especially the Secondary Conference. And this ties into our webinar this Thursday, because when you walk around the conference and you go up to people, they'll go, you know, we really address negative convexity in a very robust manner because our duration-weighted model is 
superior to both beta <laughs> See, and That's the part O-A-N. where you start hurting my head like that. It's like a well, foreign you know, language. People say stuff like that. People say stuff like that. You know, they use those words it's kind of interchangeably because really duration beta and OAS all kind of end up with the same thing. Unless you're running a model that uses it, in which case then it's the only thing there is that's right. But this Thursday, if you want to know what those words actually mean and how they're applied and how they affect the pipeline at risk and how the position recommendation is actually driven, then attend the webinar. We ever we, we go over it, we cover it. We're gonna talk about all that stuff in addition to the Monte Carlo model that I was part of at Bank of America. So we're gonna deal with all that stuff, how to account for it will be then the next week. So if you want to get into hedging, it's a great thing to do. It's actually you'll make a lot more money, and you've got a lot more flexibility. You know, one way to do that is that you can you can you can call us to do a pre-hedge assessment, and then we can hook you up with our our good friend Don Brown over at Optimal Blue Secondary Services. They can take you into hedging, do it right the first time, make a lot of money, really understand the dynamics of the mandatory delivery commitments, the short TBA position, how all that yep. fits together. Yeah, and he does a good job. There's many good hedging advisors out there, but you know we know Don so well, and he's such a good friend. So, good job. So true. How how is the seminars of the webinars going? Pretty successfully well attended. They have been, Dave. Thanks for asking. Yes, they're well attended. They've been going very well. Very high ratings. People are learning a lot. They're understanding accounting. One interesting point about the webinar, though, is that the level of sophistication of the people attending has increased. Over the really? Years. That's good. Uh, yes. So this is awesome news for the industry because we need more advanced accounting people to track all this stuff so we really can get good performance reports and KPIs to manage our business. Years ago, we'd have people that had very little experience in mortgage and very little experience in accounting attending, and now the people are much more advanced. So that's, that's really good news. I'm really glad to see it. And you, but you don't have to be advanced. The nice part about you and one of the reasons I enjoy when you're teaching is you break down the complex into the way most people who do not have that lexicon in their head like you do uh, can ga- grab it and understand it. So you do a great job. And guess who I ran into last night at the ArchMI reception? Tad Hensley. It was so Did good you, to really? see him. And he spoke, of course, glowing things about you and what that you had helped him on in the hedging and a lot of that. So very sophisticated stuff. And if you want to learn more, get a hold of Andy at – I'm looking at the calendar and time. we got to get over to Nancy. We want to get over to Nancy. We don't have to. We want to. Get a hold of Andy at Andy at MBS-team.com. Andy at MBS-team.com. So good to have you with us. And, yo, Jeff, what I'd like to do is let's get that ad that we have set up for Simplify. Let's play that ad right now because that would be a great lead in as we get ready for her segment. So with that, let's hear from our sponsor, Nancy Alley at Simplify. Simplify has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657. That ad was produced by Jeff's wife. The sellers are a wonderful team, and we appreciate them doing that. And we don't, you don't have to just call Nancy Alley. You get to listen to her live because we have her on the line, and we're very fortunate. Nancy is the vice president of Strategic planning at Simplifile. She's got a great strategic mind. It's very sharp. She has dedicated her career to driving innovation and leveraging technology in an intelligent way in the mortgage industry. You know what? It comes to innovation. We see some leverage and we go, I'm not sure you got the right end of the lever going there. She figures it out, can help you through that, especially with what she's doing at Simplifile. She has also been known as a thought leader, is recognized as such as the woman of influence by Housing Wire. The, and the MBA Tech All-Star by the Mortgage Banking Magazine. She's also the 2011 recipient of the Mortgage Technology Stephen Fraser Visionary Award. And that's a very prestigious one. And with that, we'll bring her in on. It's so good to have you with us, Nancy. Thank you for joining us. Hey, David. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> oh, well, you bet. Well, and we also thank you 
for your sponsorship. And a lot of people are, you know, say, can we get a sponsorship? Of course you can. Come on, we'd love to have <laughs> you. And uh, But Nancy and her team does it. Really great job. All the way around the whole team there at, at Simplify. It's not just it's just a few folks there that are good. I mean, I've been so impressed with your whole company. And whoever's doing the hiring there and however you're building that company, you're doing a great job. Good group of people, especially in the marketing department. Really thrilled with them. Let's get in and talk <laughs> about, as we look at about the environment there, as we move from a refinance environment into a purchase environment, what are some of the biggest lenders' challenges that you're seeing emerging. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, it was interesting listening to, I think, Sam said that the 14% week-over-week drop. So we're definitely moving yeah. um, much more into a purchase market. So I think the biggest headwind that we're going to see is just lack of control, especially I'd like to focus today around the closing process. So we all know that things are just more predictable with the refinance, right? So it starts with the lender gets to typically choose the settlement agent in a refinance Often in a refinance, you'll use the bigger lenders, they're using key partners over and over again, or the very large lenders typically have a captive title arrangement. So those loans are going to the same providers over and over again, and the closing process becomes very tight and very predictable. So, you know, industry research backs this up, this predictability, so that as the refi percentage increases, which is not what we're seeing now, lenders can close more loans in less time. But unfortunately, we see the opposite for a purchase. One of the things we're noticing how much longer it takes to close a purchase transaction and for those, and we have a lot of new people that are entering the industry, and even some that may not figure that out, but why does it take so much longer to close a purchase transaction than a refinance? Yeah, it's a great question. So the closing coordination process is just much more complicated in a purchase than it is with a refinance. So first of all, you have the realtor typically driving the settlement agent selection. So now the lender's lost control of that decision. That's number one. Number two, they may be selecting a provider that a lender either rarely or has never worked with before. So if they've never worked with that provider, then there's, there's steps that need to be taken to get them vetted and approved, obviously, before let the lender's going to wire the money, right? So that, right. that is one thing that has to happen. The other thing is there's just a lot more parties or stakeholders in a purchase than a refinance. So if you have a buyer or your borrower, right, you have a seller of the property. Often they both have independent realtors, so you can have a buyer and seller realtor. Um, and we're seeing a rise in certain parts of the country of split closings. So you might even have two settlement agents, one dealing with the seller, one dealing with the buyer. So a lot more stakeholders. Yeah, so that's happening. So you've got a lot more people involved that you're getting data from, and you need to keep informed. And then you might have a buyer that has to sell their existing home all of these things can cause time delays, and I think that's the important thing about losing control is it's the time delays that are so important to your consumer. I saw some Stratmore research recently, and it said that you know, customer satisfaction, that magic number is when you hit over 45 days, then there's a precipitous drop in their satisfaction. So these time delays, all these moving parts in a purchase, really can impact how the borrower perceives the transaction. Is there any evidence in that strap more information if the trend line is getting worse? Are we seeing this worse, or is this an age-old problem? You know, I, that's a good question. I saw this research when I was recently at MBA Tech talking about going to conferences, and I have to right. relook at it to see if it's getting worse. But I think it's generally an age-old problem. Purchases are harder than refinances. Um, we yeah. might be seeing some things like split closings and stuff that maybe weren't as common before that is making it worse. Well, I wonder if one part of the problem is because we had so many refinances and so many people were living on them for so long. If it's not mm -hmm. really getting worse, per se, it's just people got sloppy, which is back to your original point. So what can lenders do to take the noise, the friction, all that, out of the process. Right. So I definitely think there's opportunity, or I wouldn't be here today if I didn't think we can't make it better. <laughs> but, you know, I think the thing is you can't you can't get rid of the extra stakeholders, right? There's, there's extra right. people in the process. You can't help it if you get a new settlement agent. You're probably not going to change that. So you've got to look at your processes themselves and figure out how do you do them better. And what I would say is we need to get out of the manual way and start looking at really automating, using technology to help us with settlement agent interaction. Let's take the closing disclosure, the CD, right? I watched a lot of lenders, even very large lenders, kind of just limp through TRID, and they let their closing departments stay on email and phone, right? They were getting the CD out. Right. You know, they were able to close loans, and they just kind of went through, let's just stick with muscle memory of what we know. 
in a purchase, when you have so many more moving parts, including more data, and this is data that's often coming from the settlement agent, from the seller side, you really need to look how you streamline that. I don't see how you possibly securely scale in a purchase environment if you're going to you know, keep with email and phone the whole way. I think people need to start getting on board with technology and electronic exchange oh, yeah. and docs. You know, that was one of the conversations I had in the elevator here with one of the very senior executives, one of the larger companies. And I said, what's significant change about your business? He says, technology, technology, technology is a great mm-hmm. enabler. I mean, and I think there was a lot of hype around that. But now companies like Simplify are really playing a significant role in helping bring the friction out of this, like you said, the noise out of this. Well, what about those lenders that are betting on TRID being trumped? In other words, <laughs> being done away with. We heard a recent announcement that that's one of the areas is going to go, that Trump is going to go after right. the whole Dodd-Frank thing. Is there really is the time really right for us to invest in the type of collaboration technology that's out there now, given all the regulatory uncertainty? We have a lot of regulatory uncertainty. Now we even got, with the recent comments by Mutin, some uncertainty about the GSEs. Right. Yeah, that was, that was interesting earlier today. Yeah, so... You know, I think this is always the age of when is the time right? Do I sit on the sidelines, see what happens? You know, personally, I think the fate of the CFPB is irrelevant to this equation. We struggled with this long before TRID, right? So we used to do the HUD-1, and in a purchase, the lender, it was a lot more interaction with the settlement agent to get the HUD-1 out and then to get the data back in the LOS. Typically, lenders had no way to do that, so they were rekeying data into their LOS. Never a good sign if you're going to scale, right? Or there's cottage yep. industries that they paid to rekey it in India or something, right? So, <laughs> yep. and, and long before TRID, purchases were harder than refis. So I, I think the time is now. We're in a purchase market. We've got to get moving on this. I think TRID placed a price tag on nonconformance that made people pay attention, but this is an age-old problem that needs to be fixed. It is. Yeah, I think it is without question. And I mean, what's really interesting is, you know, when you look at some of the rekeying that was done in India, it's actually done pretty well. It's not mm-hmm. that it's that we have, it's just the human factor being involved in it. And what you're saying is we need to get as much of the human factor out, and that's getting more and more possible. You know, you mentioned that lenders sometimes need to add a new agent on a purchase. Can technology really help with that? Yeah, so this is an interesting thing. We've, working with lenders, we've seen that a lot of lenders don't have technology in the basic area of kind of vendor management for their agents. So they, they might produce a list of 30,000 agents as they've worked with one time, but they have no real way to manage them and then vet them and then recertify them. The LOS says typically, and I say typically because there's always exceptions, but they don't typically do a great job in this area in vendor management. But there are companies out there that can help a lender automate and track agent onboarding and the annual recertification. So I think this is something lenders should be looking at. I mean, some lenders might kind of take laissez-faire approach to things right. when they're working with new agents. But I think this is super dangerous. So think about the closing. It's probably the most important experience for your borrower, and it's the, certainly the last experience, right, the most right. recent, that they're going to have, and you're putting this in the hands of a third party. So you want some control there. If they have a bad experience, you might not get that refinance down the line, right? So the other thing That's is the point. agent handles, handles the money. So I just think when you look at the, the financial, the compliance piece, and really your brand risk to your business, I really think this is an area that people need to get automated and really have good insight into who they're doing business with. No question that purchase transactions complicate things. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. You've done a good job establishing that. We've all, for those of us been around for a while, we all know that. But why <laughs> all the rumbling about the actual seller data? Why does a lender care about the seller's side of the transaction in the first place? Yeah, th- this is a hot topic, actually. So, you know, TRID actually requires the lender to obtain and retain the seller form. And when I say seller form, that's in the case of where the borrower got the borrower-only CD, and then the settlement agent often is the one that delivers the seller side to the seller at the closing table. But even though they didn't deliver it, they do need to get it back and retain it in order to be compliant under TRID. So that's number one. They need it. Number two, let's just put the form aside for a second. And lenders need to know this information anyway. So often the seller may be paying some of the closing costs. 
right? So this can impact your borrower, right. what's your cash to close, your APR. There's other calculations that can be impacted by not knowing exactly what the seller is paying and having that information. So it's important to be able to have this information back. Then the interesting part is when the GSEs came out with uh, UCD, so the Uniform Closing Data Set, right. which kicks in the September they originally wanted not just the borrower data informed, but the seller data informed. And this caused quite an uproar. I mean, there was a lot of consternation about that request. And so it has now been delayed till September of 2018, but we know how time flies, right? So we need to still be looking yep. at this problem. And I think what this delay tells us and this uproar tells us this is a real problem for our industry. We're not getting a good job, doing a good job of getting data back from settlement, and that's why people were so fearful of that requirement. So we need to fix this problem, or lenders will be, again, rekeying data off the seller form so they can deliver it to Fannie and Freddie. So, again, I just think you have to get in an electronic word, world. You have to be able to exchange electronically yes. this data because email and phone, they're not going to cut it when it gets to the UCD requirement. Yeah, so does this mean collaboration can help the UCD delivery too? Yeah, so depending on your provider, if a collaboration portal is based on UCD slash MISMO 3.3, then a lender could be already working with their providers today in, in the format that they will be delivering to the GSEs. So there wouldn't need to be further transformation. The CD form is well, – the UCD spec is based on the CD form, so they're very close as long as – the provider is on MISMO 3.3. So I know like at Simplify, we're based off the standard so that our lenders can get ready now for UCD. Okay. That's good. So it sounds like lenders need to be thinking about more about getting the CD out the door. What else do they need to consider with all that's going on? Yeah. So I one of the biggest things that we've been really focused on in the last year is that there's this misconception with TRID that it was all about the CD and that is kind of collaboration is about the CD. And I think that's a huge misconception. It doesn't stop at the closing day table or three days prior when the borrower's CD gets out. You know, that's really just the start. The, the electronic conversation needs to go all the way through the last trailing dock. And there's lots of reasons why that we can talk about. But Yeah, so. give me an example. Give me an example. Okay, so let's even go back to the CD for a second. We try really hard as lenders, right? three days before right. to get that data perfect, right? But perfection is definitely not reality. You'll hear from lenders <laughs> that they're often having post-consummation changes and they have to redisclose. And right, one so of the true. biggest areas that we're seeing is the recording fees, something I know a little bit about, right? So um, yeah. <laughs> recording fees often come back different. And what's happening, I think, the phenomenon is that a recording fee estimate is made on the CD, and it's typically a little bit padded, right? I don't, it could be the agent padding. It could be the lender slightly, a couple dollars, right, So that just to help right. with tolerance and everything else. Then the agent records, as we all know, after closing. They actually know the amount that it costs to record. So let's say it was 27 on the CD, 25 in actual when we recorded at the county. If the agent were to disperse the tw at 25, everything would be fine. But most lenders, if not all lenders, put in their closing instructions, disperse right. according to my CD. So now they've overcharged the borrower when they've dispersed because they've based it on the 27. So it's yeah, a pretty that, common that, problem. Yeah, but I assume the changes are small, and is, is, is this really a concern? Yeah, right. So my example, $2, right? People think, well, that's yep. a big yawn. Well, it's interesting. Small or not, it causes a redisclosure event because an amount right. changed and the borrower needs to know about it, right? Secondly, if they overcharge, like in my example, which is more likely is what happened, they have to do a refund. And the smaller amounts are causing more problems than the larger ones. So how many times have you gotten back, David, a, a small check for something and it was 50 cents or 2 bucks or whatever and it just sat on your kitchen counter? Right? You're not oh, yeah. that interested in That's getting right. it to the bank. Exactly. So the lender has to trail that document, uh, that check, until they know that the, the borrower has gotten it. So there's all these mechanisms in place to monitor that. And I had a large national provider tell me, on average, it costs them over $100 to return a $2. Wow. Uh -huh. Wow. So this is, this is an area Not for surprising. improvement. Yeah, yeah, so you want to look at some ways you can use technology, and I have some ideas on that. But Good. And, you know, in the future, we, we talked about UCD a minute ago. Fannie in the future is going to require all changes to the data 
be submitted to them 90 days after the loan was purchased. So that $2 change is going to have to be submitted. So what have we just talked about? A redisclosure, a refund that right. costs them lots of money to do, and a possible UCD delivery. So, you know, this is one little thing has caused all these different downstream events to happen. And more importantly, if I'm the lender, how do I even know about that $2? How am I going to get this data? So you really do have to have collaboration continue after the closing event. It's not just about the CD. You need to know this data so you know when to redisclose, when to refund, and ultimately when do you do a UCD redelivery to Fannie. There's just so many moving pieces in this. And, Alice, I'm going to have you save up some questions here because no one better to think of things that we might be missing in this discussion as we get towards the end of it. But I would like to talk about a little bit about post-closing items. What other post closing items require a lender and agent to interact? So we talked a little bit about the data. What are those amounts that they need to get back? The other big thing is the trailing docs, and that's typically in your lender's post-closing operation. They're looking for the final recorded docs. The recorded security instrument is particularly of interest, and the final title policy, because they have to get those back. And if you were to go visit those post-closing operations, you know, we're not really using technology, right. even in the largest lenders. So I was at Tech, and, you know, they're talking all about the digital mortgage. Well, the poor folks in, in po- post-closing, <laughs> they're not getting all these new fun things, shiny new items to play with. So this is an area we can, we can drive they're some efficiency. They're down in the basement, quickly. along yeah. with the county department. Well, yeah, but they're important, trust me. They are. <laughs> so. so important. It doesn't happen unless that happens. So, I mean, so what are some of the things post-closing operations could do to – automate the and drive efficiency. Very interested in this answer. Yeah, so one of them has already happened, and so people just need to take advantage of it. I just don't think a lot of people know. So the GSEs have fully embraced e-recording. So they no longer require a copy of mm-hmm. any signed security instrument. So it used to be you could e-record, but you still had to get the paper of the wet signed document back from the agent, and they have lifted that restriction. So they did that last fall. And what this means to your listeners out there is three out of every four loans are done in accounting that you can e-record. So if I'm a lender and I do, let's say, predominantly agency production, that means I could automate almost 75% of my post-closing to get recorded docs back electronically. That would be a huge lift for a lender and also help their settlement partners. Oh, yeah, without question. And, and that is a significant improvement. Why do you think some lenders aren't taking advantage of this? Is it just that they're stuck in their old ways? So, you know, I, I want to clarify. Some lenders are. We're actually working with some lenders right now that are changing their post-closing processes to know when they don't need that paperback, and they're changing their closing instructions to direct their providers to e-record if it's an e-recording county. So there are lenders on the forefront of this, but most of the lenders do not, haven't done much about this, and it's because they're not the ones that record. So they're not necessarily thinking about this from a production standpoint, you no, know, because it's the agent that records, but it definitely can provide lift for them. So if you think about automating the trailing docs, that's some lift right there, right? You're taking paper. They have right. to typically wait for the mail, open it, scan it, key stuff back into the LOS. But there's a bigger ROI at stake here. So when you don't get these documents back in a timely manner and you're waiting on the recorded documents in particular to come back from the county, you can run into situations with your investors that, let's say, after 90 days, if they don't have that, they'll start hitting you with 100 to $200 a file mm. while they're waiting. So that's an yeah. expense you don't want. Also, depending on your servicing model, in the, there's usually typically holdbacks on the principal balance of a servicing portfolio for these trailing docs. So people don't think about post-closing a lot, but like you said, downstream, it's a very important piece. People want this the title policy and the recorded docs back. So if it can be a 10% principal holdback on a servicing portfolio until those final docs flow through on the last loan. And then that my, my favorite one, which seems silly, but you'll hear lenders talk about they'll go to the county for a certified copy if they can't, <laughs> yeah, if they haven't gotten it. And that can be $25 a doc at the county yes. just to get a copy. So, you know, the numbers will add up, and I think there's ROI for every lender to look at this. I think it's really important. I mean, here's, you brought up e-recording. Do you really think e-recording will achieve widespread adoption? 
or is it just one more technology that needs to be more evangelized before it happens? I mean, where are we at in that in that whole curve? Yeah, no, e-recording is not e-closing. You know, where people say, "Well, is it there yet? Is yeah. it there yet?" So, e-recording is a, is already a success story, um, and it's a proven yep. techno- technology. There's tens of millions of uh, documents e-recorded every year in the mortgage space. So, as I mentioned before, three out of every four loans is eligible for e-recording today, and most agents have been recording for well e-recording for well over a decade. So, the agents are already familiar with the technology. The lenders just didn't always realize that the docs were being e-recorded because Fannie and Freddie required the paper, right? So they got the paper anyway. So in their mind, they weren't saying, oh, this was e-recorded because they still got paper. So this last mile was a big deal for Fannie and Freddie to recognize the legitimacy of e-recording because it really now helps lenders automate. Before, e-recording helped agents automate, but it didn't help right. lenders automate. That's the difference. That's the difference. That's really interesting. You seem to feel that the technology is out there to help solve these problems. Is there anything else we need to be aware of or be thinking about? Yeah, so there's a, this will be interesting for, I know we're almost to the top of the hour, but for your mortgage banker listeners, um, there's this little issue of per diem interest that's been oh, yeah. coming up from <laughs> oh, state yeah. compliance, and I don't know how familiar you are about it, but to recap it real quickly, a mortgage banker in some states, California being one of them, has to refund per diem interest if the agent didn't disperse in a timely manner. So it's typically 24 hours. So let's say they close on a Tuesday, they don't actually disperse until Thursday, that's not considered timely, now the lender owes this money back. But how would the lender know? How do they get that data again, get the final disbursement amounts, and get the date that happened so that they can comply with the regulation? And so, again, it just it's going about how you need to electronically collaborate with your agents and don't stop at the CD. You have to go through post-closing because this really do. example is a big deal. There's been heavy, heavy fines against major national lenders in this area, and I'm sure they weren't really doing anything wrong, no intent here, but they couldn't prove it because they're not in charge of that data. It's coming from their settlement provider. That's really interesting. Alice, I want to have you jump in. We've covered a lot here. I just wanted to see if you have any questions or comments you want to add to this before we wrap it up, and then I want Nancy to give us some takeaways. Great. Hi, Nancy. Um, Hi. it's, It's been very interesting listening to all the notes you had mentioned about I think I would like to just circle back on one thing where you had mentioned about the lenders having a little more control in making this happening and directing for an e-recording because, you know, I've talked about this for a while in the sense of there really is a role a lender plays in e-recording. It isn't just sitting over in the title agent side. The lender does have a role in this and they have a stake in it because of the many areas you've defined where it might seem like small dollars, but it actually adds up into very big dollars. Mm-hmm. So is it as simple as putting it on the closing instructions? I mean, how, or is there some outreach they need to be making in order to facilitate that? You know, how simple can this be? Right. I think the closing instructions is the area where you could reinforce it. I do think you need to communicate your expectations. I know we're doing some things in our applications that would indicate for the agent in our system, this is a loan that the lender expects to be e-recorded, and guess what? You don't have to return the paper. So we'll flag for an agent. On this one, they do need the paper back. Maybe it's going to a different investor. On this one, they don't. So I think anywhere you can reinforce it in marketing communication, in the technology itself that you're jointly using, and it goes back to my, my theme of today really is you need to get a, that relationship strong and define and automate as much as you can so that the lender and the agent are on the same page. So true. Getting it all done. So what are the takeaways? What give you do real quickly as we close out the program, Joe and Andy, I would love to have you add in, but we're just flat out of time. But so <laughs> Nancy, as, as we wrap this up, what are some of the takeaways you think that we should just be really be thinking about? Yeah, so I think the topic right now in everyone's mind is we're in a purchase market, and I think it's going to expose some weaknesses. As you said before, with refis, we were just, you know, turning along and everything was going great. And I think we're about to find out that we're we're not as great as we think. So when it comes to (laughs) closing loans, right – and TRID compliance, we need, to be, we need to be tighter with our partners there to really make it work in a purchase market. And then UCD is going to make things more demanding, and that's coming up later this year that everyone's getting ready for. And, you know, and then these post-closing issues that we just talked about. So there's lots of areas that maybe were easier in a refi that are going to kind of rear their heads now. 
But the heart of the problem, as I just mentioned to Alice, is the lender-settlement agent relationship. Right. I think if we can get that right and use technology to automate it, then I, I do think we can have, you know, the, the world's our oyster as we move into this new market. So I think that's a relationship worth investing in. Nancy, thank you so much for being with us. Our guest has been Nancy Alley, who is Vice President of Strategic Planning at Simplifile. encourage you to check it out and get to meet her at one of these conferences. She's at most of these. She's not at this one. We're missing her. <laughs> and uh, but, uh, we appreciate you taking time, Nancy, to be out here. Greet all your team there at Simplify. You've got a great group of people, and we're really fortunate to have you as an advertiser, but more importantly, bringing critical thought and good information to our audience. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. You bet. Next week, we're going to be doing a Mother's Day kind of special. We've got Jason from Ulterior Home Mourns. And he will bring on his mom. Now, if you listen to these two talk, it is so much fun. I love Jason's inputs. It's got some really innovative stuff. We're going to have them on next week. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, by LinkedIn. You can go anywhere. Go to Lickin' on Lending. Just Google it. We're out there. Appreciate you telling others about this. Jeff Sellers, thanks so much for running the switchboard in my absence. We appreciate it. Andy, Joe, Alice, everyone, Sam, thank you so much for being here. Have a blessed week, everybody. Look forward to seeing you here soon and back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.